You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. Hard and fast nutrition rules can be difficult to come by, but today's guest is making the case that there's at least one that shouldn't be up for debate any longer. Too much salt in your diet can be deadly. I'm Keith Menconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we're taking a bit of a detour from our regular COVID-19 programming to discuss another health crisis facing the American public, excessive salt consumption. How did we get here? Well, laying out that story for us today is Dr. Michael Jacobson. He's a scientist and a longtime consumer advocate focused on nutrition and health. His new book is Salt Wars, The Battle Over the Biggest Killer in the American Diet. Dr. Michael Jacobson, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks very much for having me. So it may seem like a little bit of a strange time to be having this conversation. There's obviously so much going on in the world right now. But uh, the story that you tell carries with it all the elements that have, I think, really proven to be major challenges for us over the last year. We're talking about uh, a math- massive health crisis here. We're talking about widespread policy confusion, uh, even talking about misinformation at a lot of different levels. So um, this salt topic of yours, a surprisingly meaty one. And uh, you've actually made the case that this should be the very second item on President President Biden's health agenda just after COVID. So uh, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, Spell out that case a little bit for us, if you could. Well, it's long been known that diets high in sodium cause hypertension, high blood pressure, and hypertension increases the risk of heart attacks, strokes, kidney disease, and other health problems. The challenge has been doing something about that. There have been recommendations from different agencies, the White House, Department of Health and Human Services, American Heart Association, World Health Organization, to cut consumption of sodium. But the government has done very little. It it tells people consume less sodium in pamphlets and on the web, but it really hasn't taken any policy actions since sodium was required on nutrition labels 30 years ago. Uh, And the lack of action by the government reflects uh, scientific debates and then political debates. And those are the two, when my book is titled Salt Wars, and the two wars that are referred to are the scientific battles, where it's really a war against misinformation, bad science, and then the political battles where industry and some conservatives, anti-regulatory folks in Congress don't want to take actions that would reduce sodium consumption and could save as many as 100,000 lives a year. You know, and I think this is really a pandemic caused by salt. Year in and year out, salty diets are causing 50 to 100,000 premature deaths every year. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, your your book also uh, go, reviews some studies suggesting that it's costing billions of dollars uh, as well. So uh, really, really a high toll. And uh, I, I would like to talk about some of those wars that you just described a moment ago. I think first it would be helpful to get our listeners situated in why it is salt is something that they should be worried about. Uh, I, I think some of the numbers that are important uh, for that frame of reference would be uh, the recommendation that uh, you know the average person should be eating about uh, 20 uh, 400 milligrams of salt each day, whereas we're eating more than 3,000 milligrams of salt each day. Um, to help us understand why that is a problem. What sorts of uh, health problems is that causing? Well, you, you, the, um, the figures are uh, we're consuming 3,400 milligrams a day. We ought to be consuming no more than 2,300 and ideally less. The American Heart Association recommends 1,500 milligrams a day. So we're consuming 1100 mil, at least 1100 milligrams a day more than we ought to. And what's the problem? Basic problem is high blood pressure. And that high blood pressure increases the risk of having a stroke or having a heart attack, two of the major killers in the United States. It also causes the high blood pressure year in and year out also increases the risk of kidney disease. It, uh, the high blood pressure can affect the eye and impair vision or even cause blindness. And in recent years, there's increasing evidence from good studies link, showing that high blood pressure uh, or high sodium diets can increase the risk of um, memory decline and possibly even dementia. So there isn't a lot of solid evidence on that. So high-sodium diets are causing very serious health problems in the United States. And, um, you know, if you look at the food supply, you know, um, look at some of these foods. You can go to a restaurant and eat a meal that contains two or three times as much sodium as is recommended for an entire day. Many uh, packaged foods at a grocery store contain half or more of a daily intake of sodium per serving. So those are the kinds of foods that really contribute to the high sodium diets and then ultimately these chronic diseases. Speaking again to uh, Michael Jacobson, uh, co-founder of the Center for Science in the Public Interest. We should get that in there as well. Uh, So, you know, you're talking about the link between salt and high blood pressure. I think the average person who's thought about this issue, if they have thought about it at all, would say, "Okay, well, you know, that's kind of old news. I've heard that before. Or or maybe they were thinking uh, I I had heard that. I thought that the science had gone back on that. Uh, So, you know, that link right there, that's not necessarily news. What what is more interesting is the fact that there is a public perception that there is still a debate on that point, and that's uh, one of the cases that your book is is making, that there really shouldn't be any more debate on that link between uh, high-salt diets and high blood pressure. You know, there's been some debate in the scientific literature, um, and that has leaked over into articles in the Washington Post and editorial in the New York Times, um, and the um, scientific argument is There's some researchers who did studies that looked at sodium intake and heart disease, heart uh, heart attack deaths and stroke deaths. 
And what these scientists found was that very high levels of sodium intake increase the risk of cardiovascular disease, but lowering sodium levels to those recommended amounts, 2,300 milligrams or, or less, that also increased the risk of cardiovascular disease. And those scientists say that Americans are consuming just about the right amount of sodium right now. Most of the rest of the scientific community has dismissed those studies from day one, saying that the basic problem is that those scientists did not measure sodium intake accurately. And so that's been, uh, that argument has been, been waged in scientific literature and then conservatives in Congress pick it up, the food industry picks it up and abuse that argument to uh, say we shouldn't do anything about reducing sodium. And the basic flaws is that they didn't measure sodium intake accurately. And so those studies have been criticized from the, the day they were published, but they've been, there's been a kind of a trickle of those studies over the last 30 years. And, and that's the evidence that has been seized upon to stymie government action and confuse the public. And I hope in Salt Wars, I, I have ended that debate, cleared up consumer confusion, and we'll move on to some real government action. Right. Uh, trying to find the signal amid the noise. Uh, increasingly difficult in recent years, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why that is uh, as we continue the conversation. First, I want to reintroduce you real quick. Uh, for anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, excess salt, uh, today's guest says, is a health crisis that should be item number two on President Biden's health agenda just after the COVID-19 pandemic. That guest is scientist and longtime consumer advocate Michael Jacobson. His new book is Salt Wars, the battle over the biggest killer in the American diet. And we're talking about the wars and the battlefields that this has played out upon. You just talked about some of the research, uh, excuse me, some of the recent research. Uh, That's obviously one of the the main battlefields, uh, academics going back and forth on this scientific topic. Uh, But that battlefield stretches back uh, far into the past, about a century. If you could uh, maybe uh, get us started uh, on how scientists first got some inkling that salt may be a, a health problem. What were the uh, early studies? Some of them were kind of colorful uh, reading your book. Yes. Uh, well, the, the first study that I could find was done in France um, in the early 1900s. And th- those scientists found that when they uh, increased or decreased sodium levels in patients with hypertension, that the degree of hypertension the uh, the degree of blood pressure varied with, with salt intake. And those scientists didn't know if it, was, if it was the sodium or the chloride in sodium chloride, ordinary salt. And that was followed up 20 years later in the United States um, where the French results were essentially confirmed. And then uh, the, the, um, the evidence became much stronger in a series of studies begun around 1940 um, um, by Walter Kempner, a German emigrate to the United States. And he did very careful studies where he put his patients who had very severe hypertension, he put them on a very low sodium diet. And in most cases, their 
their blood pressure decreased very significantly. Not in every patient, didn't blood pressure didn't always come down to the ideal below 120 over 80, but very significant decreases. And uh, those were confirmed by other researchers in the 1940s. Um, now Kempfner uh, uh, put patients on very strict diets, mostly. Yeah, we're talking about rice and, and fruit uh, juice and not much else. That's right, it was Kemp, the Kempfner rice diet. And um, there was a law, lawsuit where he admitted that to keep his patients or some of his patients on this very austere diet, he actually had to beat them. And for, fortunately, that, that uh, um, extent of uh, clinical research has ended and patients uh, are not beaten to stick to a protocol. Do, do you ever wish that you had lived in the age when the scientific method was a little bit more fun? Uh, <laughs> it seems like today's scientists might be missing out. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the foundation of uh, where this science is, is all coming from. You, 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 you illustrate a number of different personalities that have been coming at this debate uh, from the other side. At what point did this be, start becoming a war where uh, there were factions for and against the notion that salts could cause these uh, these health problems? Well, I'd say up until around 1990, there was strong evidence that sodium increased blood pressure and that increased blood pressure increased the risk of heart attacks and strokes. That was generally agreed upon. But there were no studies showing that raising sodium directly increases the risk of cardiovascular disease you're skipping that intermediate step of, of increased blood pressure. And that's when those studies start, 1990s around when the studies started uh, trickling out, suggesting that lowering sodium could increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. You know, totally counterintuitive against that whole body of evidence that uh, the lowering sodium lowered blood pressure and that would lower the risk of cardiovascular disease. That's that's where we see this uh, J or U-shaped uh, chart where folks are saying that there's you know this this happy medium where you want to be in terms of your salt intake, but if you if you go too high, that's when you have problems, and if you go too low, perhaps that causes problems too. That was the the thinking from the folks that were putting this idea forward. That's right, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, the study was totally flawed because they didn't measure sodium intake accurately. That's when the um, the war really began in the scientific journals. And then when uh, we at Center for Science and the Public Interest or others recommend policy measures to reduce sodium intake, the anti-regulatory folks said, oh no, uh, there are these other studies saying that lowering sodium could be dangerous. And so that battle has gone on for a number of years and really delayed the Food and Drug Administration in its efforts to reduce sodium intake. There was just uh, no progress made. Fortunately, studies were done very clear, that showed in a very clear cut way that those studies that found a J-shaped uh, relationship between sodium and disease were flawed. And then in 2019, about a year and a half ago, the National Academy of Sciences issued a report that um, just dismissed out of hand those studies saying lowering sodium might be dangerous. 
And I hope that that has ended the debate. Now, meanwhile, in, um, in the policy world, the Food and Drug Administration, um, well, let me go back a little if I might. In 2010, the National Academy of Sciences recommended that the FDA uh, set mandatory limits on sodium in packaged and restaurant foods. Uh, limits that would bring sodium intakes down to safe levels. And that recommendation, the Food and Drug Administration immediately said, we won't do mandatory reductions, but we'll do voluntary reductions. And it took the FDA six years to, to propose these voluntary reductions that would take place over 10 years. So that was in 2016. They issued those, they proposed those, those standards. In June of 2016, the Obama administration left office at the end of the uh, beginning of the next year and never finalized its proposal. The Trump administration, anti-regulatory uh, to an extreme, did nothing on, to finalize those recommendations, those recommended reductions. And so that's where we are today. And the challenge I think for the Biden administration is initially finalize the proposed uh, sodium reduction guidelines. And it could do it uh, very quickly. All right. And so there, there, there we have uh, some of the reasons why you're making the case that this should be high on the Biden agenda. And uh, we'll talk about uh, in a little bit some of the key practical ways that uh, regulators might act and might actually make take a real bite out of uh, the national salt intake uh, as we round out the program. Uh, real quick, one last time, I want to remind listeners that this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. And once again, today, we're talking about the health crisis on our dinner table, uh, taking a break, obviously, from our regularly scheduled COVID-19 programming to discuss the new book, Salt Wars, The Battle Over the Biggest Killer in the American Diet. Joining us is the book's author, scientist and longtime consumer advocate, Michael Jacobson. So I should admit, uh, maybe this is a good time in the conversation to admit that I'm, I'm probably the exact target audience for this book because I was definitely one of the people, before I encountered your book, walking around with this notion that uh, the jury's still out on salt. You know, I read one thing last week and I read another thing the week after and it just did, you know, it would, it would take a lot of trouble to get salt out of my diet. I live a fairly fast-paced lifestyle and I depend on, on those kind of TV dinners that uh, your book points out are such a problem and uh, it's just something I don't I don't really want to think about too much and so it, it, it really is a matter of uh, finding the good information right now amidst uh, a lot of the confusing information. And uh, I think as, as, as well as you uh, boil it all down, it is still, you know, we're talking about heavy science right here. And so it can be uh, very confusing for consumers. So I'm wondering if you could just share some thoughts uh, of how this communication process got as garbled as it had. I think in your book, you uh, lay some blame on uh, me and my fellow journalists uh, as, as well as industry and uh, just the whole uh, information ecosystem uh, in, in total in the U.S.? Well, the food industry has uh, long taken advantage of the confusion and wanted to spread the confusion, I think, so that it wouldn't have to reformulate its foods. Companies feared that uh, they might, if they lowered sodium, but their competitors did not, consumers might shift from buying their food to buying the competitors' foods. And the salt industry had a, a public relations arm called the Salt Institute that if and that really fanned the flames of confusion. 
that if anybody ever said a critical word about uh, salt and the salty diets, the Salt Institute would come out and, and attack them. Um, it's kind of like the Tobacco Institute, not nearly as big, mm. but uh, just um, kind of ferocious, more, more uh, bark than bite. In my book, I call it the mouse that roared because it didn't have a lot of power except to confuse the public. So when a journalist would do an, um, an article about should salt be reduced or not, the other side was always quoted. Often the salt industry, sometimes a scientist, and that that uh, led to the confusion. And then um, just to point a finger at uh, not you in particular, but your your fellow journalists, um, I I think journalists love uh, the the uh, man bites dog stories. Yeah, it gets readers' attention, and um, so this was an obvious thing to say that. The establishment says you should consume less salt, but uh, there's evidence that doing that could kill you. And that obviously is kind of a showstopper. And people... Uh, the headlines write themselves. Yeah. And then uh, you step into the picture with your confused mind mm-hmm. and don't know what to do. And can even use it as an excuse not to change your diet. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, dispelling that confusion, I think, uh, uh, an important task. Um, let's spend the rest of the program talking a little bit about what could be done. And I think uh, the right place to start that is why it is that uh, American salt consumption and I think uh, salt consumption in the developed world more broadly is uh, high and rising and as high as it has become. Uh, I, I think a lot of the story there um, involves processed foods. Yeah, it, it does. But it, we also should recognize that uh, we have to consume some salt or at least some sodium. Mm-hmm. We need it for life. It's involved in every cell in the body. Um, and because of that need, and that in many parts of the world where humans developed um, in Central and around Africa, there was a deficiency of salt. And so the body evolved for over millions of years to like the taste of salt so that um, our uh, pre-human ancestors and us would gravitate towards salt. And that was uh, very valuable in that salt efficient world. But then processed foods came about and now uh, we have an overabundance of salt. And um, you know, if the, if the uh, you know, in some parts uh, in um, to, just to accentuate this, in uh, certain tribes in Africa, Latin America, uh, New Guinea, people consume very small amounts of sodium, something like 100 to maybe 500 milligrams a day. Our Neolithic ancestors probably consumed 500 to 1,000 milligrams a day. We're, we're consuming 2,300, we're consuming 3,400 mm-hmm. milligrams a day. So roughly 10 times as much as we had historically. Yeah. Um, and then so the processed food companies come in and they find that their customers want salty taste. Right. And industry's glad to comply. So now we get three-fourths of our salt, of our sodium, from packaged and restaurant foods. And that's where the emphasis needs to be. 
more than um, controlling the salt shaker or using less than cooking because most people don't do that much cooking anymore. In contrast, in rural China, say, people do most of their, uh, uh, get most of their food from home-cooked meals. And there the concern is more the salt shaker. Right, and your book does include practical advice for individual consumers and uh, what individual consumers can do to buy less salty food, to cook with uh, less salty ingredients. But as you were just saying, the the real solution, given, I mean, I'm, as, as I kind of said, I'm guilty of this too, uh, the reliance on processed foods, uh, the real solution is going to be changing that whole uh, food ecosystem that uh, so many of us rely on. And uh, you were saying, uh, pointing out in the book that there are uh, a number of countries that have shown some promise, the UK among them, uh, in uh, getting some reductions and uh, perhaps that's showing a path forward for the US. So what would, if, uh, if, if President Biden was taking on uh, salt consumption in the way that you were hoping for, what would that look like? Well, I think the first thing we have these, you know, I, I would like to see some mandatory reductions, but the Food and Drug Administration is going down the route of voluntary, and we need to pursue that. Mm. It's the FDA needs to finalize these these its voluntary goals. So picking up where the Obama administration left off, as you were describing earlier. That's yeah. right, and the two-year and ten-year goals. So we ought to accept the two-year voluntary goals and then see what happens after two years. If industry adhered to these goals, maybe not every company, but the vast majority of companies, um, great. It it would suggest the voluntary approach is working. However, if it didn't work, if there weren't all that many reductions, sodium intake did not decrease, then those those uh, two-year voluntary goals could be converted to mandatory reductions. Or an alternative would be uh, to allow the, the standards to be voluntary, but to require warning notices on products that didn't meet the two-year goals. Mm. You know, so warning labels can be very helpful, and we should look to um, the most effective labeling or the f- most effective sodium reduction campaign has come from Chile, and it's been copied by several other countries. Those countries require a stop sign shaped warning notice on foods containing more than a certain amount of sodium. And that labeling has had a tremendous impact in certain categories of food, not every one, but um, um, that, so warning labels can be an effective approach also. You know, I think even under the best of circumstances, the FDA is going to allow industry many years to reduce sodium. And that may be appropriate because uh, we don't want to shock people's taste buds by all of a sudden eliminating a a third of the sodium or salt from their foods. So the FDA said, let's give industry 10 years. I don't want to wait 10 years Anybody with high blood pressure should not wait 10 years, but should take action right now to clean up their own diet. Hard as it may be, because it's something you have to do day in and day out. 
Well, uh, luckily, uh, pandemic living has, I think, pushed a lot of us more in the direction of cooking for ourselves. And uh, on that 10-year horizon, as you point out in your book, uh, it's easy to get used to a lot of different flavors over the course of 10 years. So perhaps the American palate uh, will shift. Um, We will have to wait and see. But for now, we're going to round out the program. We have been speaking today, once again, to Michael Jacobson. He is the co-founder of the Center for Science in the Public Interest. His new book, one last time, is Salt Wars, the Battle over the Biggest Killer in the American Diet. Dr. Michael Jacobson. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Keith. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.